0: Compromise is quite a negative word, but sometimes compromise is a synonym for collaborate. You feel like you might be losing something, but change the mindset. It's not about losing something. It's about like sidestepping. It's like, okay, we're not taking this path, but there's another path. It's still leading in the same direction. It doesn't even matter what you do. Everyone has an unfair advantage. If you spend a little bit of time working out what your unfair advantage is, own it. And then don't just stop there. Find other people's unfair advantages. That is only gonna to work to your advantage. I love that. That charming voice belongs to Eli Dance Ali. This disarming voice belongs to Basil Jarrett. And this podcast is The Process. Thank you so much for tuning in. This epi is an absolute doozy. Eli is in what's turning out to be a running theme in this series, or should I just say 2019, a bit of a slasher. The man does everything. In this, we talk about video, but we also talk about him being a sax man, a literal sax man. Isn't that the best? I'll tell you what else is the best. Pumpkin Soup. It's cold in Melbourne, and this episode is going to be sponsored by Pumpkin Soup. With coconut, if you're into that. All right, I'll shut up. Let's get into it. You could be like the third member of Hamish and Andy right now with the truckies hat on. And the beard. With the beard and yeah. the mud, yeah. Yeah. Yo, what's up? Yo. The guy who doesn't really get a name. It's like Hamish and Andy and the producer kind of guy who's just... Yo, you're really and. I'm the end. You're the and. Hamish, comma, and, and comma, comma and. Andy. That's me. <laughs> I like that. You have a fun name. Guest, who are you? Uh, yo, my name is Eli Dance Ali. Damn, where does dance come from? Uh, it's a solid question. I get it all the time. Mostly I just get... Uh, it's it, that's not your middle name, right? You just have some weird affection to dancing and movement and things. But um, no, I actually it's my mum's last name. Really? Yeah. So it's a double unhyphenated last name. Double unhyphenated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's a bit it's a bit unusual. My sister's got the same. She's a dance Ali as well. Keeps it within the family. Do people remember it? Because I know my housemate always refers to you by your full name. I'm I, like, oh, Eli's coming over, and it's like, oh, Eli Dance Ali. Yeah, I get a I get a lot of the full name business. Some, some people like, yeah, I, when I rock up and I haven't seen someone for a while or even people who like, I don't know, back in the day when I used to play netball at uni, people would be like, yo, Eli dance Ali It's like, you can just call me Eli, you know, it doesn't, I don't need the whole thing, but yeah, that, that's me. That I like works. it. So dance rather than dance. Yeah. that's uh, it's also a good question. Um, My mum's from uh, country Tasmania And I guarantee you that no one in country Tasmania says dance So yeah, definitely it's a dance It's a dance kind of thing But when you go to South Australia, you have to change it Dance, is yes, dance Dance, take a chance, go to the castle (laughs) Um, I have to, it's not that I I don't say basil But I react to basil um, Particularly in in the United States Yeah, in North America Yeah, Um, Canada, it's like weird Because Canada actually say basil for the herb but people still refer to me as Basil. And like I would, I would literally introduce myself as Basil to somebody and then they would turn and introduce me to somebody else and say, this is Basil. Interesting. It was just like this weird like. Switch. I guess that's what happens when you're named after a herb. <laughs> <laughs> or a fox. Shut up, dance, man. <laughs> Shut up, dance move. How are our levels? Is that all sweet? Yeah, I mean, I. I, It feels so good. It it feels feels so right. Yeah, I like it. You weren't super psyched. Not super psyched. I feel like you were super psyched. You were a little nervous. You had. Oh, I'm. uh, Firstly, let me let me like make that clear. I'm I'm super psyched and honoured to be. Invited to be oh sitting my, here oh my in God. your studio, oh my God. maybe having a drink and talking some 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 shite yeah, with you. Hell yeah! Um, ba- we do it all the time. It's just that we don't record it. No, but it's a little bit of uh, you know, it's a bit intimidating having a microphone in your hand and uh, and and you know knowing that that little <laughs> red light is on. Beep, beep. Yeah, beep, exactly. Beep, puts beep. you puts you on the spot. But I think for me, like I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous too because it's like, yeah, I. I tend to say a lot of stuff, and I kind of imagine on a night out and imagine going out with your friends, yeah. And then the next day, you have to sit through and listen to all the stuff you've said to people, and you go, "Oh God, Ooh. what kind of human being am I?" Ooh. Um, not that I think that this is going to be <laughs> coming up in this show, but like, like it's just the idea that like dance Ali tells all. He has <laughs> yeah, a little bit of accountability in in what you say on on tape. Yeah, totally. For it to for it to be out there forever, especially such a massive show like this on you know Spotify. And to, come on, hitting up that process on Spotify. Going out on all. I'm a long time. I'm a long time listener. First time <laughs> caller. The hard thing to do when you know someone really well is to to not go with what you know and to try and mine out something that I don't know. You mean about me? About you? Yeah. To to pull. It's all right, I've I've been lying to you for the last three oh. years that I've known you. So it's a. I've got plenty of new stuff to tell you Holy shit For our people at home that don't know you And and don't have the privilege of having a a biru right now with us What do you do at parties when people ask you what you do? What do you say? It's an interesting question and I I like it that it's part of your thing Part of your shit going on It's a big thing especially in this first season of Media Types Like everyone's a slash, you know, so it's it's hard Like I'm a director slash producer slash editor slash Totally, and this kind of goes contrary to uh, another guest you had on your show recently, Maddie Mitchell, Ooh. mutual friend of ours. For me, I think I am a slash. I am a slash of a lot of things, and I don't think it's because I think that I know everything or I think that I can do anything. It's more like I'm just still trying to find out exactly what it is. I'm not meaning to say that when you go to a party, you say that yeah, I'm an accountant, and you go, "What." Well, this guy, I mean, how many moccasins and sandals with socks do you wear? Like, you know, whatever. Like, that's a, it's a it's one thing to pigeonhole someone, but for myself, yeah, I don't know. I, I mix it up. I kind of feel the vibe of, of the room and and use it use it. But to answer your question, uh, I create content. I wouldn't call myself a content creator. There are people out there who are smashing that um, social media and and you know putting themselves on there like you know big brother but in the 21st century and you know doing that kind of stuff but i'm a video producer mostly i've come from like a graphic design and kind of copywriting comms kind of background but where i am now i'm a video producer director and i like making i like telling good stories that's what i do i'm a i am I like telling people's stories hell yeah dog you um you'll be a content creator in no time it's it's you're close you're on the on the precipice uh it's been really cool to watch you and and get to know you over the last couple of years going from for the backstory you came in and then took over a corporate job that i was working as a videographer i guess you would call it and we only we only spent like one day together yeah so we i think we shared one day together uh this was Videographer for a uh, large university, and uh, yeah, it sprouted our friendship ever since. But yeah, I was nervous, man. That was my first first day on the job, and I was. It like, wasn't much training. One day to be like, okay, so this is this <laughs> is what Baz does, and I literally just like tried to carbon copy what you were doing. I like, I had no <laughs> idea what was expected. I hadn't really worked much in a video job before. I think Matt saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Wow. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, yeah, like pointing cameras at stuff and making dumb home movies with my friends. Um, But I don't, I corporate videos with like big views and that kind of stuff. That's not me. What is this? Where am I? Yeah. So what were you doing before that? Yeah, so I had uh, just finished a long seven-year stint at a local government in a city Melbourne in diverse communities and social inclusion uh, in their team there in a comms role. had just finished up there and was working uh, as basically an intern at a creative agency. Pretty small one, but one that was like nurturing me a bit and, and giving me some good opportunities to try different things. And I was very much the jack of all, master of none and literally like... The master of none. Um, My creative director at that agency sat me down one day and said, hey man, I got to like tell you something. I love having you around. I think you're fun and I enjoy having you as part of my team. But there's a guy who makes videos better than you. And there's a girl who writes copy better than you. And there's a girl who's a graphic designer who's better than you. And there's a, you know, blah, blah, blah. I kept going like this. It's like, um, yeah, I want to keep working with you, dude. But to be honest, I don't know where you fit. And I think you're good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. And I've got people who are stronger in all these areas. And I feel like for you, the best thing to do is go and focus your energy in one little area and become good at it, really good at it, own it. And then, you know, come back and go back into that kind of like creative direction kind of vibe because it's good to know a lot of things, but you need to have some experience. Yeah, anyway, and then just like through as these things out i got an opportunity to work at the australian open doing some directing of live television there which is just ridiculous and thank you tennis australia for giving me a job that i totally totally was <laughs> unqualified for <laughs> but nailed but man it was nuts it was i was like freaking out but i had a great time doing it pushing buttons and choosing what went on tv it was like i don't know if you've you know a bit of a wayne's World fan but it was with, like camera one camera two camera one camera two <laughs> and it was just it was nuts and yeah i had the privilege of uh, getting to know someone who I had only met on the periphery of my kind of friendship group and in, in Matt and he thought that I was good at video. I didn't, but you anyway, know, he gave me a shot. I carbon copied what you did and got into university that I've have been at for three years now. Hell yeah. That's crazy. I want to go back to that advice from the creative director. What do you think about that advice now? Oh, I don't think it could be – it's the best advice you could ever give someone, I reckon. Really? He was the kind of guy – his name's Nick. He still is, but he's just like, you know, he wants to be people's mentor. And he was like – for me, he was he was a great mentor in that respect. Like, as a boss, he wanted to give me a job. Basically, this is how he sat, he sat me down. He said – as as your boss, I want to offer you an ongoing position here. But as your mentor, I want to fire you and make you go and push yourself and do something different. And I was like, well, I don't know how to take that, but I'll do it. I'll give it a go. Hell yeah. And so you, so video, was that for you? Was was narrowing down and going, time to get expertise, I guess? Or like level up in, in one area? Yeah, for me, it's like looking back at the jack of all, master of none situation, I was like if you go down the line of graphic design you do graphic design or if you mm. go down the line of being a copywriter you're kind of a copywriter i don't mean mm. to pigeonhole people but like for me video was like but video is so broad mm. like video for me when i was uh doing my masters at, at swinney um in media comms it was like videos motion graphics videos writing script writing videos ju- uh, journalism and interviewing people and mm. and you know it's all these kind of a mixed bag of skills yeah it, it kind of sounds focused like you're video professional but realistically you have to have a a bit of a breadth of of skills and i kind of was like you know instead of trying to be perfect at one Mm. i just wanted to focus all my skills and focus them in one direction if that makes sense yeah no it totally makes sense anything to do with directing i think that you have to dip your toes in like every little, little pond. hundred percent. I, I kind of feel like I come from a limited experience because I was able to walk into a job. I don't have that story of, you know, being the person who peeled the onions, who became the chef. I, right. I'm like, I'm coming in from a, I'm a pretty like isolated perspective. But my understanding is, is that, and I think this probably applies to lots of professions, not just the video one, is that you have to understand the game. You have to know what's going on. And it has to be not from just like, you know the shot. You can't just know what the camera operator needs to film at. Point the camera at. You need to know what the client thinks the camera is being pointed at. You need to know what they're expecting the camera to be pointed at. You need to know what the sound's going to be like. You need to know what the person and preemptively know what the person's going to be talking about. And if they talk about something completely different, you have to be able to adapt and and make that happen. And I think you know if you work in film and television, when you're working in like more scripted areas or more like you know news or whatever, then um, your role is kind of. Uh, you know, you got like a it's 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 more of a, a specific kind of narrow field, a much harder field, but a, a more like more yeah. like in line. It's just different. It's very yeah. different. Um, for videography, as you would know, it's like you just like there's situations where you rock up and you're meant to interview someone about a topic. You just have you've never even you can't even pronounce the word like you don't know yeah. what it's about and but usually I find that like that's what makes it a good video you get that communication you get that them talking because if you don't understand your viewers aren't going to understand I was going to say most of the time the audience for the video it's going to be Johnny Public it's something that we've talked about before too being that wizard that brings everybody together and being able to have all these savants the cinematographer who's amazing but can't deal with clients properly so you've got to like protect them and the, the editor who is incredible but has no idea how to deliver on deadlines, being able to be the glue that brings it all together, that's a skill set within its own self and I think that's something you've carved out super nicely. (laughs) Well, I mean, 100%, I can't agree with you more. I think it's, yeah, if you want me to go and point a camera at something, I can give it a go, but I would be much better off getting someone who actually knows how to use a camera to be there and for me to be the person who understands enough about a camera to be able to be like yeah, okay, you're the director of photography, but the client wants this. And for the vice versa of like, yep, you're the client, but the director of photography recommends this. And just making sure that everyone's on the same page. And, you know, because ultimately we're all there to create the best thing possible. I think a lot of times people go, oh, the client's trying to ruin a video, but it's like, no, it's like the client is, they're the ones who want the video to be good. They're paying you money to give that expertise. Let's Let's work together and create something, you know, delicious and tasty together. Did you do any client stuff before? The university stuff? Uh, No, not really. I did like very, I did like a random kind of few things here and there at like below minimum wage prices. More recently, I've like resigned from my job. So I'm I'm moving on from from the corporate university world and going out there and doing the corporate everyone world. I'm there to like try to create content, good content for whoever's looking for it. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a scary step, but one that I'm excited to do. Something I want to do a little bit differently and continue telling good stories, but just in different contexts. Hell yeah! Hit up Glitch Media if you need some dope content, right? Glitch Media, baby. Oh, baby! <laughs> now I think what's crazy, and maybe this is getting into the realm of of stuff that I don't know. You had a whole life before getting into the media camera world, right? There was a little music car. Yeah, I mean, like like ninety eight percent of eighteen year olds out there finish high school and go, what the H or the F do I do now? At the time, my favorite thing in high school was playing music. I was I went to a pretty small school and I was known as the guy who played saxophone. I was the sax man. Sax man. And um, I just loved it. I loved the uh, like uh, getting up on stage and being trying to be a bit of a showman. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. So I was like, I don't know if I ever want to be a musician, but hey, let's do a bachelor of music. Because I need to get a degree. Because if you don't get a degree, I don't know what happens. You 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 fail at life. Oh, game's it's game, game over. over. That's yeah. right. That's this what it feels like when you're eighteen. Uh, retrospectively, I don't think that's necessarily true. But I needed something to do, and I wanted to play music, and so I did a yeah, Bachelor of Jazz. That's jazz so crazy. on the saxophone. Yeah, crazy. Do you remember like when did you start playing sax? Uh, so it's <laughs> if you want the story, yeah. it's just a quick story. But um, so I was at uh, my friend Kate. Uh, I was like, uh, it would have been eight or nine back in primary school. Everyone has to learn the recorder, right? Everyone's on the recorder. Oh my God. Mary had a little lamb, baby. Yeah. Oh, baby. Um, yeah, so we were all in a recorder and Kate, one day, she got to sit in this different part of the classroom and play this like huge recorder. I've never seen a recorder this big. Later on, I found out, you know, it's called a tenor recorder, but far <laughs> out. I was like, so impressed. I was like, good on you, Kate. What an awesome thing to be doing. I went up to my music teacher, Music Sally, and I said, Music Sally, I want to play that big recorder. And she said, oh, uh, in a supportive way, you need to get a lot better at recorder before you can play the tenor recorder. Ooh. Get out of here, little kid. Ooh. No, she said it very nicely. Scram. But, but basically, that's what she said. So I was like, like I didn't know what I was going to do. And there was a a girl from the high school part of the same school that I went to. And they, there was this band that was playing and she was playing saxophone. It wasn't saxophone to me, though. It was just a big, shiny, golden recorder. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's the biggest, shiniest recorder I've ever seen in my life. And I was like stuff it i'm gonna learn that i don't know what it is but i'm i want that so i told my parents you know teed up a lesson at school and uh yeah ended up playing saxophone from year seven all the way to through high school and into four-year university degree just mainly out of spite so i could tell sally that i played the biggest shiniest recorder out there (laughs) what's the learning curve on the sax i imagine that it's pretty hard for like a little kid with tiny lungs right is it yeah yeah i guess like any musical instrument it's one of those things that You know, uh, it doesn't matter at the first instance if you pick it up and you can do anything on it or you can do like nothing on it. I just was in the very fortunate boat where I picked it up and I could do something. I could get a sound out of it and it wasn't so debilitating that I gave up and I just enjoyed playing it. But yeah, definitely blew along. I did it. I remember once, in, I think it was in year seven, I just wanted to like impress my friends so much that I was like blowing so hard because I thought, you know, back then, everything you do as a, as a teenage boy, it's about it's not about doing it better. It's about just doing it harder. As oh, hard yeah. as possible yeah, because yeah. That's, that's what as people... As big as possible. That, that's how people respect you. As fast as possible. Exactly. Hell yeah. And I did it so much that I burst a vein in my eyeball and I had a blood eye for while. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah i looked like like a vampire on the left hand side of my face for a little bit but um build up the lungs every time i wouldn't call myself ian thorpe but uh got got a bit of lung strength in there the Thorpedo. tell me about sulphite. yeah so sulphite was my band out of uni i realized pretty quickly that i was no good i went to a uh, i did a bachelor of music and right. I, and it was like pretty competitive and like some of the dudes who, who uh when i say dudes i mean people both men and women who finish up out of that course are just like unbelievably good like people who are stars who have done amazing things for me it was like one of those jumps it was like i went to a tiny school and i was the only person for like a four-year gap like two years above me and two oh, years below me who really like played saxophone big fish and, small I, pond. and i was like big fish man i'm the best at saxophone oh i'm the guy and then going into the university where i was easily the worst not only saxophonist, but probably the worst musician because the way that I learnt music was about like uh, feeling the vibe and having fun and and, <laughs> and, and, and like soloing and, and improvising and stuff. I, I wasn't ever about like scales or chords or, you know, theory and stuff. And so when I hit up university, I was like, oh, wait, what's this? A, a scale? <laughs> Yo, where's the subject on vibe? Because yeah. I'm going to crush <laughs> at vibe. Yeah, I mean, it it was lucky that it was a jazz course. If I was in classical, I would have probably been kicked out of that course pretty quickly. But um, you're like, no, no, no. I I know your scale, and I'm rejecting it. <laughs> I'm rejecting it. Jazz chords. There were actually <laughs> hilariously a few people who who thought that I was just so good that I must be rejecting the rules. Like for real. But they were actually completely wrong. I was just not knowing what the rules were. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he knows all the rules so he's breaking them. You're like, N- nah. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know what jazz is. (laughs) That is awesome. Wait, so what's my favorite drum movie? What's that? Why can't I think of it? Whiplash. Whiplash. In my head, I was going rudimental, rudimental, rudimental. (laughs) Whiplash. So I freaking love Whiplash. Did, was it like Whiplash at all? It's a hundred percent like Whiplash. And when I watch Whiplash, I get a little bit of PTSD. But it's not it's not in any way that bad. Whiplash is like, though, obviously like a terrible, terrible situation. But it's still that same kind of like competitive nature and this feeling. And it's often a feeling that you put on yourself. You're sitting in a ensemble of people or an orchestra or, or you know whatever because it's a very performance based course. Um, and you're sitting with all these people and you're part of this group and you have a role to play. And if you're not technically up there in the skills area like I wasn't you go oh god everyone's watching me everyone's like judging me on how bad I am and you know it's like it's, it's it's one of those things where you where you can't help but like see what else other people are doing and judge yourself against them and for me I found that quite quite a difficult thing at the time but also something that I think probably has helped me realize that you know, it's you know in my in my life in generally mm-hmm. that it it's a foolish thing to do. People are great at things. Everyone's great at something. It's just about like it, it'd be silly to expect everyone to be amazing at playing in an orchestra because there's going to be people with different levels of skills anyway. But that's a whole other thing. But no, that's a nugget of wisdom. You're like balking from the wisdom that you're delivering, <laughs> spitting straight fire. So you're saying like. How often is this happening? Ensemble. So every Wednesday, uh, every Wednesday, between every Wednesday, four to six is a is a class called performance practice, okay. and this is where you perform in your ensemble, which you've rehearsed with, you know, one day during the week. Okay, um, you perform in front of the whole course. And I'm not just saying like the people in your year. I'm talking about first year, second year, third year, honors year, doing their masters. You are you are up there in front of a, a, maybe like 120 people and you're playing it's as like a like talent an, quest every single yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. And you're an 18-year-old playing in front of 120 people and you haven't really done it before and you're you're not only do you have to play and look at people watching you um in a classroom kind of basis, which is, and also the other thing is it's not a classroom. You're in a massive performance space. It was not like, like on a, stage. You're on stage. Yeah, you're oh in a you're in a theater. You know, you're in a music theater. You're judged. You finish. You finish playing. The course convener and the other teachers who are there, they get up and and judge course you. Course convener. Yeah, they're the What does that mean? Uh, the person who runs the course. So the person who runs mm. the music uh, music course. His name was Rob, um, and he used to yeah. Well, firstly, he used to struggle with my name. So he used to pronounce the E like no one's business. He was like, Eli, Eli. <laughs> and he would say, Eli, I've got one word for you. No tongue, no tongue. No tongue, which of course everyone would laugh at, because yeah, I don't think he knows how to count words. <laughs> um, but he was a—he's an amazing saxophonist, Rob Burke, and he no w- tongue. What's what's the instruction there? Because uh, I would used to always hit my tongue on the reed of the saxophone, which for me it's like the equivalent of slapping bass. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh uh uh. It gives you that like hit when you're playing. It it makes you sound like bigger and better, but it's definitely not. Doesn't make you sound technical. Oh. Doesn't make you sound like. Like uh, the John Coltrane that but everyone wants you to be. what about vibe, bro? Gotta, where am I getting, where's the extra score for vibe? Where is that? And then not only do the, the teachers then finish critiquing your playing and the playing of everyone in your group, it then opens up to the whole course. And people then stand up and say, mm, you know, I think this was good or this was bad. And, you know, it's usually constructive, but it's just that, like, it's so daunting. Question. Question. So is it literally a strain Idol where there's a panel, like everyone's sitting down, you know, the big wigs, are they sitting in a row? 100%. So they're, they're at the front row Every week And they're, and they're like It's like a panel um, They're not really like It's not like you're gonna They don't go And you've got a ticket To Las Vegas You're going away to Vegas To become the Woo-hoo! new winner But no They're much more uh, It's constructive criticism okay. If you will But okay. yeah It's pretty daunting Pretty daunting as a young person To try to do that kind of stuff Especially yeah. for me Where I did I did it Not because I wanted To be the best Like yeah. my, my saxophone teacher Who happened to be Rob Burke He would tell me I needed to practice Six hours a day He would tell everyone That they need to practice six hours a day but he was like on top of eli six six hours a day six hours bro yeah because they uh you know they teach people to be masters they teach people to be the best and that's what i mean like people who left there some of them are the best some of them are like incredible musicians for me i never wanted to be an incredible musician i just wanted to get a a degree And B, wanted to have fun while doing it. And I was like, hey, Bachelor of Music, performance, that sounds badass. Fucking jam out with my friends. Just one more clarification question. Please. So the judges, the big wigs have done their thing. Mm. When it opens up to the floor, is that like a mic getting passed around? Or people are just literally standing up and saying like, Sarah killed it, Eli. Too much tongue. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, they wouldn't really individually point out people too much. It wasn't too much of that. Okay. But it was kind of like, yeah, the band sounded good. It could have been tighter here. The, this part of the song could have done better better I would have liked to see more improvisation or less improvisation yeah. or do you have to do solos and stuff yeah oh yeah yeah. every week so everyone has to solo you know that's jazz man that's the rule Good you have solo. you have 12 you have 12 bars in most jazz tunes and there's a set of rules can you, can you lo- d- break down the process yeah that? so okay so take the 12 bar blues yeah 12 bar blues 12 bars uh, it's the it's the kind of tune that you know and you've probably heard it a thousand times before but that's a basic version in the jazz version instead of having like four chords it's literally like 12 chords and it's a lot of chords and you just have to kind of each in each you got, you know five to infinite amount of notes you can play in that in that amount of space and it's <laughs> it's it's all about the journey it's about like how do you navigate through these changes and that right. they're the rule that's the rule of the game and the game is how you navigate through it and you can like break the rules and come back as long as you come back kind of stuff wow but that's tough like that's a hard thing to do this is't like george Thoroughgood, bad to the bone like that's 12 bar blues for me that was like you know bad to the bone Da-na-na-na-na. and it was like bad to the b- yeah exactly and yeah. that that's like for me the 12 bar blues hit up a 12 bar uh, jazz blues, that's a whole different game. Right. That's like next level. And that's like, I don't know if you've ever heard um, Charlie Parker, man. But Charlie Parker, his whole thing was like, I'm going to play as many notes in the shortest amount of time as possible. Really? Because I'm going to be the note master. And he was the note master. And that's what made him famous. But if you ever listen to like his stuff, and he's just off-rocket. And at that time when people were like, dude, you got to listen to John Coltrane. you got to listen to Charlie Parker. And they would say, I want to hear them in your playing. For me, they were like, they were just like showing off. They're just like, bang, 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 bang. They're not actually, they're losing the musicality. They're like, I, you know, I want to hear nice stuff in my ears, man. I want to hear stuff that makes me want to move my hips or things that I want to bob my head to. I don't really care about that you can play a million notes in one bar, but you know, that's jazz. That's jazz, baby. So one thing that I kind of struggle with in terms of video is voice. Do you think you found your voice in sax? By voice, I assume you mean like you're like who you are as a voice. Yeah, well, you're just saying like Charlie Parker, the note master. If you're playing, how does someone know it's you and not somebody else? For me, I was all about like being showy, but not in terms of number of notes. I just wanted to play higher. I wanted to get like squeals in there and and kind of like get that James Brown, Maceo Parker kind of vibe, you know, the like hit me on the one kind of feels. And I think I don't know, I don't know if I've, I've if I've been able like I I definitely had a lot of fun and I like yeah. and that's kind of how Soulfeet was created, this band that I kind of made up at the end of my degree, and I was like. I just found these guys And girls who were just like Incredible musicians But like Fun people And that's what really Mattered to me the most That was this guy uh, His name was Stu I watched him play at, at performance practice One week And he broke a bass string No one Like you know Guitar strings break Bass strings don't break Yeah He was just ferocious He was like a beast on bass He snapped his bass string And I was like I want that guy in my band That's crazy So you put a band together Yeah I put a band together I was like I Because I was the guy who uh, No one wanted to be in their band So I was like I had to start my own band baby And I was like <laughs> Like I don't want this jazz business. Let's play some soul. Let's play some funk. Let's play the stuff that like gets people up and dancing. A little bit of Wilson Pickett, a little bit of Land of a Thousand Dances. You know, like things that things that people groove to. I don't know if you ever seen the Blues Brothers, one of my favorite films of all time. I only found out this like a couple weeks ago. Oh, you just, it's you, just like it. I love just, it. It's just the best, man. Aretha Franklin, James Brown, L. J. Hooker. It's just like bang, bang, bang. Huge artists. It's just so much fun. I can't sit down and watch that film. I'm up. I'm I'm moving around. If I'm with other people, I'll just be. Pretending I'm in the kitchen doing something, but really I'm shaking my hips behind the behind the counter. <laughs> it- Near the dishwasher, but like if I'm by myself, I'm I'm up and moving. I'm pumping the speakers so loud that my neighbors are probably going to make noise complaints. But oh, Blues Brothers, what a what a what a film! But yeah, it get was to, like gets it going, baby. It gets me going. It gets those vibe vibes we're going. This is a video podcast. <laughs> God damn it! I'm actually just on the couch right <laughs> now with the doing pants my hi- down. Yeah, pants down, <laughs> moving my hips. But um, started a band. uh We were called Soul Feet, which was a terrible. Now that I work in marketing, I know it was a terrible name because did you come up with it? Yeah, because it's super. Yeah, because I wanted to be like. Like smart, I wanted to be like, yeah, let's play like a name game kind of thing, and people would be like, wow, that's cool, really, that no one knew how to spell it because there's so many ways to spell soul and so many words, oh, so many ways to spell feet. Soul is in the soul of your foot. Yeah, soul. and so and and feet like in foot, but no, it was like s o u l like soul, the vibing yep. soul, and then there was f e eighty like a feet of soul, soul feet. Anyway, that was the that was the band name, and we used to play gigs and used to have so much fun, and it was just the kind of music where I could there's just there's this scale for you music nerds out there called the pentatonic scale Ooh. which is uh pen as in five? Correct pen t- as in five it's literally five notes it's just five notes and it's like you can play it over um, the blues um, okay. and you it's just the five notes but it's the five notes so if you've ever heard of like a guitar solo or a saxophone solo or any solo in a in a blues tune like a you know like, uh, not pop songs but and you go man all of these notes just sound so good. Yeah, that's the that's the pentatonic scale. You can just rip over things with that, and and people go, "Wow, that sounds awesome." For me, I was like, "Yes," because what I'm doing is playing the notes that sound good. I'm not here to here to play every note in the in the schoolbook. I'm I'm just here to play the good ones, baby. Okay, I just wanted this just for the maybe the edit. I don't know. <coughs> oh, that was a lot That of was hot. <laughs> that was a lot of splash. <laughs> Brought to you by Stomping Ground. Gip Street Ale, baby. Which is crazy because I live just off Gip Street. My address is <laughs> beep, <laughs> beep, 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 street. For anyone listening at home, you have to, if you if you love beer, drink local. I don't care if you like Victoria Bitter. I don't care if you like and Draft. If you're going to drink Coronas, you go to Mexico. Go drink local. But drink local. There's amazing beers out there. So you just got back from drinking local. Yeah. Where'd you go? Uh, you hit up South America. Um, just the whole South America, all, all of South. I was like, "Yo, continent of South America, I'm gonna hang out with you." I'm coming. Come on, Americas. Just to Chile and Argentina. Um, I say just, but I understand that for a lot of people, traveling is a impossible thing for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I, got, I was very privileged to be able to go to uh, Chile and Argentina and, and do some Patagonia hiking and you some it. some Atacama deserting. And uh, for me, uh, South America has always been on the radar. I've gotcha. always wanted to go there. Um, but for me, it's like everyone who i've known who's gone to south america has gone for like 9 months for 12 months it's been like a gap year for them they've backpacked around they get to see a lot of stuff and i guess got to a point in my life where i was like hey i'm never going to have that opportunity to potentially take 12 months off and and do something so why am i being so foolish and not doing stuff so take a month off go hit up hit up two countries do it do it you know a country at a time yeah take it slow but do it right um i'm fortunate enough to have the job and to be able to afford that and it was great it was a great experience and i think part of the reason um i literally went to south america for a month came back and quit my job and it's not because like i had some revelation over there or oh no like, you found yourself right i found my i, I just took a whole heap of ay- ayahuasca i and was peyote like i was like looking like, for you and then i was like holy shit i found him yeah, exactly. No, it was more just like just going around and talking to people who are traveling and these people from all across the world who are like, yeah, I'm three months into a 12-month holiday and and I'm doing this and this and exploring and, and I'm like, where are you going next? And they're like, I don't know. I'm just following, I'm meeting people I'm I'm hanging out with new people. I'm I'm traveling to places I've, I haven't ever been on my destination list before. And I was like, there's something about that kind of freedom, that liberation. It's like, for me, like, it's always been, uh, you know, I... I did my undergrad. I worked full-time for a year and then I did my masters while working full-time at, exa- at the same time. So hitting out that 9 to 5 and then doing 6 p.m. till 9 p.m. classes and a yes. Saturday 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Thank you very much Marketing 101 on a, a Saturday morning. Um, but yeah, I've always I've always been on. I've always been working. Um and it's just like a bit scary, this idea of freedom. But so, you know, I, but also like intriguing. It's like, a, hey, what yeah. is like this flirtation with like, wow, what it's like to be free. So, uh, yeah, so I'm not traveling in South America for 12 months, but I am going to start running my own business and, and have a bit more freedom and flexibility in my day to day, which I'm super psyched about. And you've had a little bit of a taste of that because you've you've had like one day off a week or something. Yeah, I made a decision at one point where I was like, yeah, I used to care. I mostly cared about the money. I used to just be like... Man, I got to earn that money. Kind of like a game for me. I'd wake up in the morning and check my bank account and be like, I need more money. And be like, yo, more bread, more cheddar, more bread, more cheddar, more more cheesy bread. Yo. (laughs) I need more cheesy, tasty, cheesy bread. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's not even real money. It's just like points. You're like, oh, I need more points. I got to score those points. Um, But, yeah, I got to a point in my life where I'm a little bit more like, I don't know, I'd like to think that I'm a little... can think outside the box kind of guy Um, looking at something holistically and going, yeah, but now's the time where I, I I had this like dream of retiring by 40 and like, why do I want to retire by 40? What am I going to do when I'm 41? I'm going to be so bored. I'm going to be 41 and doing nothing, like sitting at home in my moccasins and my and my track pants and walking around their house being grumpy at something. Um, is that what 41-year-olds 41, 41 do? I don't know. I don't know anymore. But uh, no, for me, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I should just uh, like inc- incorporate freedom in my life. I should have this, like, I forget about like making money to retire. Let's like just have an enjoyable lifestyle. So, yeah, so I dropped off a day a week costs 20% of your income which is like not nothing but it was great and at first it was like a day off I was like doing my washing I was like Bam, washing done. I hit the weekend. I've got like clean clothes. I'm not, I'm like in fresh undies by Saturday. I'm like, yes. Like what a what a lifestyle I'm living. Um, But yeah, luckily and like through uh, as, as you know, these things kind of tend to happen and through like networks and through unexpected channels, people were hitting me up and saying, hey, can you make some vids for me? And I want you to do stuff. This was like, well, I'm still at the university where I worked, um, but want me to do stuff for other brands, like to do things elsewhere and outside of that This bubble that I had been in for the last you know two and a half years at that point. So yeah, I spent the last half a year working with some brands and for my first client ever, it was quite a large national. Yeah, you went big, man. You went bigger than I've ever got. Right, maybe not will ever, hopefully, but but I mean, it was huge, man. It was just ridiculous. I got a call from someone who was in my network who I had done a video with. Said, "Hey, I'm now the business development director at Baker's Delight, and we want." you to make some vids for us and I was like "Woo, uh, unbelievable and um, yeah came in we were talked about they were like let's do one vid and I went back and thought about what they wanted and and thinking about it from like a holistic point of view of not just being the person who makes video but also understands the like you know how it works to be the client how what it means to be the internal comms people and what they actually are trying to achieve and I went back to them and said hey this sounds crazy but instead of one video why don't we do 20 and why don't we do 20 not just in Melbourne. Why don't we go all around Australia and to New Zealand and it's going to cost a lot more money than what you had anticipated. But how's this for an idea? And uh, to their credit, uh, they said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Oh, my God. I love it. It's so great. And we got to, uh, yeah, and I still at my full-time job meant that I uh, had to use my network of people who I know and trust and sent them um, to places that were too far away and when I could I took annual leave and I went and, and filmed a couple of things around Australia and yeah it was a it was pretty incredible experience and and to land a, a client like that um as the first client of my business is um, it's a uh, yeah I mean it's a it's something that I I would never have dreamed of yeah. and also something that I couldn't not take the opportunity to go and be like sweet I got momentum I want to jump on this yeah. I want I want to jump with this ride I want to jump on this horse and See where it's going to take me. You smashed it. I remember um, maybe on like a a Sunday, you showed me like the pitch that you did for that, which was killer. It was like super professional. I was like, thanks, my man. This guy, wow. You mightn't have felt like that. You were ready. And Baker's Delight, massive brand in Australia, like knew that you were up for it. And in the past, they would have gone for an agency. That's probably who you were up against. But, you know, they chose you and they definitely thought you were up to scratch. So, how far into doing that did you start to believe your own hype? And not in a bad way, right? It's a, it's an interesting question. Imposter syndrome is a massive thing in any creative industry, and I think I, for one, on my first day working at the university with you, and I was watching what you were doing, and I was like, "This guy's good. This guy, he knows what he's doing." I have imposter syndrome, and I probably had imposter syndrome for the next two years, to be mm. honest. Like you know, because I, I very fortunately, um, was given a lot of uh, opportunities to to grow, and in in the organization where I was, and, um which is obviously to their credit, like it was, it was really good for me. Um, but mm. I, I always felt like I was catching up. I always felt like I was feeling bigger shoes and than, than what my feet could fill. Wow. And, that's uh, great. Yeah. But I think in a, in like as nervous as I was in a lot of circumstances, it helped me grow as a person and you build a bubble though. And I think that's, what's like quite difficult to burst that bubble is like mm. you're, yeah, you're good in this circumstance, but you think, Oh, I'm good at this because the people around me think I'm good, but the, that's a small bubble of people. Mm. Um, but now I've got this opportunity to do something with uh, someone else, someone who doesn't really know my work. You know, we, we haven't built this relationship yet. Right. We're coming in fresh. It's like a, I mean, I've, I've, I've not really been on it, but I've, you know, it's like being on a blind date. You're like rocking yeah. up and you're, you're going, so, uh, what do you like to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so like, you, you like, stuff? you like stuff. I like stuff. Yeah. Stuff's cool. um, yeah, so it was just like uh, a cool opportunity, and it and to be honest, it if anything, it just made me feel like uh, they put their trust in me, and at the on the outcome, we were both happy with the what we had put, built together, what we had put out there on the on the worldwide webs. Um, yeah and if anything, it's just like it's that that's that little confidence boost that I needed and from that security life that I've always had, I mean like you know you can't start your first job if your first job is working in local government uh, which it was for me it's like you're pretty you're like you're like, yeah, I got a paycheck, Ayo. and it comes every two weeks like you know yeah, and it it sounds like I feel like the most privileged white guy of all times, ain't this, but it was just like. I was so used to this security um, and having that salary that like moving on seems like such a daunting process, but one that like, you know, through little things you have to kind of look at them and go, you feel like an imposter, but that's not necessarily unhealthy. That's you going, yeah, I've got things to learn and things to grow and places that I want to be get better and you identify that. But I feel like if you don't feel like an imposter, you're not challenging yourself. How? Oh my God. Totally. You're you're in a situation when you're so comfortable with what you're doing, then you're not learning. And if you're not learning, and for me, if you're not learning, it's why, why are you doing it? Are you, I mean, money's great. Don't get me wrong. I love, I love spending money. Cash. But it's it's about yeah, it's about growing It's weird that you wanted to cover the couch in fifty dollar pineapples before you sat down. Is it wait, your guests don't do this normally? No normally, but I mean now that it all makes sense. You love you love cash. <laughs> cold hard cash. Cold hard cash. But I want to know where in that first job were you like, oh, fuck, I'm not an imposter. I might have been right about this and this worked. Was it literally delivering the first of the 20? The first one, yeah. So, the very first one. You sit in that room. I come up with these ideas in my head. I present them back to them. They put their faith in me i walk out of that room i fist pump i go yes they trusted me and then i turn around and look at myself and go oh god they trusted me like why (laughs) would anyone trust me i don't know what i'm doing i have no idea what i'm doing so then you go out you do the first one and you're like you just sit there kind of like with bottom lip quivering going i hope they like it unfortunately they did it's about i guess having that open communication but that was the moment where i was like Yep. Hey, we've spoken about this. This is what I know. I think I understand you guys now and I understand what you like and we've put together something and they were like, great, this is cool. Let's do 19 more. Let's make this happen. That's so good. When you told me about it, I was so pumped, but I wasn't surprised because for better, not for worse, you speak fluent client and then you also speak fluent production and i feel like you could transpose this into many other industries as well you know even in the cooking world like front of house and back of house and stuff it's just like it takes a skilled person to have feet in both worlds and i think that that's what you do so well and so when i heard about this baker's thing i was like man this is this this guy's about to launch this is, about to, this is about to launch. Yeah, I think I think similar to what we were saying earlier about Maddie. I think you probably saw something more in me than I did in myself. Once again, through that like insecurity kind yeah, of like... Yeah, it's not a bad thing though, dude. Like it is like a beautiful naivety. I think in this industry, at least like the way that I like to approach it and coming from, as you said, like it's not just understanding the production side, but understanding the client and, and what their kind of goals, what they're trying to achieve. You have to kind of put yourself in a vulnerable position. You have to like put yourself out there and the client might tell you what they want, but sometimes they need to be told... What they need and you know it's about like having that honest and open conversation and it's in a way that's not like yeah no i i know i know you guys better than you know yourselves do this instead i mean in more in terms of like no like I let's have this conversation because I would love to know more about what you guys are after, what you're trying to do, and if that makes me sound like I don't know what I'm doing, then fine. I totally accept that, but I think I need if I don't if I can't ask the questions and I don't understand enough, I don't think I'm going to get anywhere. Cuz yeah, I could just say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that and then I'll go do it and no one's happy with the outcome. Then that's a bigger problem than if I go in and go yeah, so uh, I actually don't know what any anything you just said is. Can we talk about this some more? And, and yeah, I I might be the biggest idiot in the room, but I need to I need to understand because if I don't understand, then the people I'm communicating to through video aren't gonna understand either. Hell yeah. In your previous role, ooh, isn't that fun to say? In your <laughs> previous role, you dealt a lot with the client being the university and with a lot of production companies coming in and kind of pitching, you know, pitching for the tender of a, of a job, right? So how much of that has shaped you and what have you seen where you're like, oh, I really like that and like, ooh, I, I don't like that. I don't want to do that when I'm doing my own thing. Oh, 100%. I don't mean to go on too much of a tangent, but like my partner, she works with a judge, right? Yeah. She's a lawyer, but doesn't act as a lawyer. She works as an associate with a judge, and what she gets to do by sitting up on the judge's panel in the courtroom, she gets to hear the defense, and she gets to hear the prosecution. She gets to hear how they create their arguments and what they do, and and get this deeper understanding because she gets to go behind the scenes with the judge and, and get to hear what he thinks is the the outcome of that, or like gets to hear the the background information on or they presented well or didn't present well, and all this kind of stuff. I kind of feel like in my as you said before, previous role, which is nice to say. It was the equivalent for me. It was about hearing about how the client felt about the way that a production company or an agency, the way they they approached something. I got to hear from the production company about how the client approached something and how that, that might have hindered things. I was in this like spot where I was in the in-between. You were the Malcolm in the middle. I was Malcolm in the middle. So I got to see both sides. And I think for me, that was like such a rewarding opportunity in that I could see how different people approach different things and what i was saying before about like this idea of client knows what's best or production company knows what's best and and people kind of fighting against each other like there's so many so many things like big agencies for instance and i'm not talking specifically about anyone but like big agencies occasionally want to make ads that win them awards that's kind of like their driver they get a huge budget from a client and they want to go out there and make something amazing to win an award which is cool It's cool, totally, like to be recognized and do something good. But is it to the best interest of the client? Is that exactly what they wanted? Or is it something that you wanted to do and you just took the leverage of the money that was given to you to be able to get you into that position? And I kind of feel vice versa. It's like, yeah, the client has this idea and they're kind of holding back. Um, the production company from really realizing that idea in in what could be a phenomenal video and something that people really engage with their clients holding that back because of their own insecurities or fears around you know pushing that boundary or or trying something a little bit different and so i could i I saw this kind of play at hand on both sides of the spectrum and it goes back to like the thing about putting yourself out there and and being a little bit vulnerable but it's like yeah you need to have these conversations you need to be open about it if you want to create something that's going to win awards which is not at all on my radar but if it's like you know like talk about it like talk about it and have it as a open discussion i mean ultimately you're getting a job because a client is putting their trust into you and in return you should put your trust into them and and create a dialogue between the two of you so you can create something together that creates the best outcome and sometimes that's hard because sometimes stubbornness and and our own kind of like drive to be like oh, I've got such a great idea. And the client's like, no, that's just not what is in my head. It's all about compromise. But compromise is is quite a negative word, but sometimes compromise is like a, it's a synonym for collaborate. Ooh. You feel like you might be losing something, but change the mindset. It's not about losing something. It's about like sidestepping. It's like, okay, we're not taking this path, but there's a there's another path. It's still leading in the same direction. But how do we keep that like energy behind it? How do we keep that passion behind it? How do we do something that is going to be rewarding for both us as a, as creators and still hit the key messages and the ultimate goal of what the client is asking. Can both sides be 100% happy? I think yes I think not all the time I think it'd be foolish to think that yeah. at the end of the video you're going to go over and high five each other and be like yeah this was great Um, it's just one circle on the Venn diagram yeah (laughs) total overlap everyone's happy all the time (laughs) I do think it is potentially the case yeah I think it's how you approach it and I think if you go in with an open mind and but also with uh, an open heart if that it sounds so corny saying it out loud but now it's recorded forever yeah but you know like the saying put your heart on your sleeve like put your ideas on your sleeve put your creativity on your sleeve and go and sit with them and I don't know I've like I've sat in rooms with people and have come up with ideas and just seen their faces go this guy's crazy he doesn't really he like that what a crazy idea and I go cool I mean it's Great. Now yeah. I know that that's not necessarily the the what you're after. How about this instead? And, you know, you find you find that out. Like that's how you, it's about, uh, yeah, building a relationship. You can't, you know, if you've got a partner in life or a, you're on a date with someone, you can't, you wouldn't just be like, we're eating Thai food tonight. Oh, I'm actually allergic to uh allergic We're eating food. Thai food tonight. And we're having uh, prawns. I don't care if you've got a <laughs> shellfish allergy. We're that's eating prawns. That's what I'm having. <laughs> Right, and it's so just about like under the the more you know, the more power you have to do something. I like it. Fuck, that was great. I can't get over. Compromise is a synonym for collaborate. I used to get hung up on compromise. Just the minute I got any feedback, I was like, fuck. Fuck you, man <laughs> Taking it personally, yeah Taking I've, it so I've seen, personally I've seen that And I, I've got a few very close friends Who, like yourself Work in the industry Of, of making videos for people yeah. and, and on huge Varying different scales uh, One of my friends Jack, he works In, uh, in the field of Making television commercials mm. So He's hitting up jobs that are two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollar jobs, four hundred thousand dollar jobs. You know, the kind of ads that like legitimately go to TV, legitimately yeah. annoy you while you're trying to watch a YouTube clip. Like things <laughs> that pop in and you go, Whoa, there's a that's Thanks, an ad. Jack. Thank you so much. Jack, you know, with that three hundred thousand dollar client comes with three hundred thousand expectations. And yeah. it comes in there and for him, I know that his way to compromise, I guess, is is that he creates two videos. He like lives on that director's cut. He goes wow. out and he, and he takes his own camera to shoot he's he's a director but he's he brings his own camera or he rents a camera and he and he does like a little bit of a wacky wild side then and he puts it on his you know his personal page as a director's cut and that's the stuff that i watch and go yeah because that's the cool stuff like he's chosen the beautiful imagery while the one that he created for the client was the one that had the best shot of the product or you know whatever it might be interesting but I, i i think the for himself he's been able to create stuff that he's proud of while creating what the client wants and, and mm. through compromise he's, once again there's that word but yeah. it's not necessarily a negative word, through compromise he's gone proactively mm. about it and gone, yep, no worries this video is for you, this is how you want it and that's totally cool and it's a good video I'm proud of it too and here's a video for me I'm going to spend mm. my unpaid hours outside of this job editing this and putting it together and being something that I'm proud about yeah like for me I'm not in the 200 300 thousand dollar world and I'm not, not I'm definitely not in that expectation level yeah I'm much more about like small content pieces ones that like are more about frequency than it is about like one hero piece yep. and that's like the place that I want to be I don't want to get into that world um, and it's Mainly because I get the opportunity to come up with some ideas. Like Jack is a he's a super creative dude, but he gets jobs through agencies. For instance, Mm -hmm. it's his realizing the the vision of an agency. The agency is trying to realize the vision of the client, and you have these you have so many layers to the process with so many people there. Um, I just like sitting with the client directly and going, "Hey, so what do you guys want?" And they tell me, and I go, "Great. Well, let's make it happen." Have you Have you thought about like doing what you said, but just tweaking it like this? And he goes, no, but that's cool too. Let's do that. And I I like having that relationship with the client, the one-on-one, the, yeah, totally go with your huge big four agencies or whoever it is to do what goes on your TV ad. Uh, I love that. Like, you know, they're they're equipped for it. But hey, social media is there and people... People engage with you in, in the digital space. Let me be a part of that storytelling. A lot of times, I will look at a gig and be like, "Okay, maybe it's not paying. It's not paying as much as this other thing over here." but I think I'm gonna be a lot happier doing it because of whatever reason. So that's a compromise for me. Maybe it's making the world a better place. Maybe I get a little more autonomy over what happens. Maybe they're just a chilled out client compared to the other one. Like that's a compromise too. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I'm just bashing that word around my brain at the moment, which I'm really liking. Compromise though. So if you don't want to then do that 200, 300,000 dollar massive thing, and you you don't, you know, I don't think you wanna do the um, you know the twenty dollar an hour cut and paste jobs either what does the ideal gig look like for Eli Dance Arling? totally it's a good question it's like there's like a few people in my life who are on that spectrum you know Mm. on the spectrum of like heap of smaller jobs a few medium sized jobs and you know a very few massive jobs gotcha um and that I don't think there's a right answer naively earlier I used to be like a five hundred thousand dollar job would be the best thing of all time but now thinking about it I'm like no that's not actually what I want from it I don't want to be sitting in agency land I don't want to be sitting with 16 thousand people behind me in the camera while i'm trying to do an interview i want to tell Stories of what you know, people are doing and things that are interesting, and I don't want to be the guy who is just by himself, pushing, stressing about everything, pushing record, doing the interview, setting up some makeshift lights with some duct tape. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but just having this like. Were you looking at me when you said that? (laughs) (laughs) No, but like it's like that is me. Yeah, right. And for me, it's like, and that's totally cool. I get that as well. But that's like, I want to get to that balance. For me, it's about that balance of like, I don't want to be some fat cat bigwig, smoking a cigar and going my people will look after that i want to and i don't want to be the guy who's just by himself trying to make it all happen i want to be the guy who's like yeah on the ground but separated enough from the tools that i can see it from the client's perspective and because i think there's a there's a risk a bit of a risk of like being two heads down You're like, Mm. your your head is so deep into a project that you no longer can see what's going on around you. You're like, you're wearing those blinkers and you're like, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. But you're kind of missing that the client has uh, inadvertently, even beyond their own um, consciousness, said a few things in a few emails or said things in a few conversations over the phone that will make you go, if if you've got that time and that headspace to think about it, you go, oh, you know what? They haven't actually said it. But I actually think that this is what, they would want more. Like, I think this is what they actually are asking for and going to them with that conversation going, Hey, you know how we've talked about this a few times now. Did you actually mean this? And they go, Oh, I know. I know. But yeah, that's like, I love that. Like, you know, and having that ability to do that for me, that's the sweet spot. And that's what I kind of want to work in and, and and have that kind of flexibility to still be there on the Mm. ground and talk to the DOP or the director or, you know, whoever. And, and having a pretending to have some kind of input in anything but still being close close to the ground. I think having bandwidth, mental bandwidth is massive. It's yeah. massive how much it can benefit everything and it just seems so simple. But like having enough sleep and having like a few days off and actually like having a weekend and stuff, how positive that has affected my work in like the, the last year. And then I just, I just see it in, in other people's work as right, well. Right, 100%. Like I know, I mean, you're an editor. You edit as well. Yeah. I, I, I edit occasionally. For me, it's like I can sit up until 3 a.m. Yes. editing. Like totally. and it's so easy to be so occupied with that. Like you're yeah. incapacitated to be able to do anything else as much as possible. What I'd like to do. And what I'd like to do is yeah, just be in that space, but be one step away from that space. Totally. That space in that one step, it's like you join dots that you didn't even see. Oh, hundred percent. You like, you know, I'm sure you've been on an ed before and you go, Yeah, this edit's good. And then you wait and then you go to bed. You wake up the next day, you watch what you've done, and you go, that makes no sense. You're too close to a bro. Cause you're so, you've got this like perception fatigue. You're yeah. like sitting there and you've been looking at it the whole time. I think what's beneficial both for me as a creator, I guess, as a, I feel so winky saying that, but like no, as, man, a, as, a, as, a, as someone who creates content and a client who wants the content, if I can be the conduit between, if, if I can work with an editor and they show me an edit and I go, sweet. This is this is better than what I would have done. You've done an amazing job. Only thing is we just need to have this little key message and this little key message added back in from interview 20 minutes and 32 seconds or there whatever. Yep. And then I know that that's I am, I'm anticipating that's what the client's going to come back with. Hell yeah. You get it to a point I email it across to the client and or sit with the client and they go, "Yeah, yeah, this is this is cool." And it's one of those things it's like Having that like foresight and having that ability to kind of appreciate both ends of the spectrum mm. um, gives the little advantage. Um, I listen to a lot of startup on uh, Spotify uh, oh, on Gimlet Media. Yeah. Shout out. out to startup. And, uh, hope Chris, they make it. You know, yeah, and then definitely not sell for a billion dollars to Spotify like they oh. just did last week. But oh. um, yeah, Chris Saka, he said this thing about like you need to find your unfair advantage. And yep. if you're running a business, like it's not just about everyone has an unfair advantage, but you have to be able to articulate what that is. Mm. And for me, my unfair advantage is that I understand... The guy at the computer, because I've been the guy at the computer, and I understand the guy who's requesting a job because I've also been the guy who's requesting a job. And yeah. So, my unfair advantage is being the guy now who can sit between those two people. Yeah. Something that like, I think of a lot is that clients often see people like us who work in the video world as one of two things. They either see us as a video wizard, and, Hell they, yeah. and you do things that there's no way I could ever do, and this is amazing that you're able to like, piece together these things so that I wouldn't even know where to start, or you're a video monkey. Yeah, but my my thirteen year old daughter can make a four K video oh, on her I've got iPhone. Oh, I've got a camera. I filmed my niece's first birthday on the weekend and made this like sick video I put yeah. on Instagram. Did you it was see it? it was massive. I got like I got like thirty two likes and oh. I and I, I just slapped that viral movie and it and it absolutely killed it. And they're not wrong. Neither neither party's wrong. It's the like, craziest thing is that both sides are right. Both sides are right. And it's about like bringing the spectrum The spectrum's massive, from video monkey to video wizard, into something in between and going, Yeah, but we're good at what we do, we can make it happen for you. And this is what is actually involved in the process. I think at some point you got to take each party on the journey. Like, yeah, if you're a video wizard, show them it's not wizardry. It's a, it's hard work. If they're thinking that you're a video monkey, take them on the journey, show them the amount of work that goes behind making the kind of stuff Always that Always show them the amount of work because it's so much on both sides, right? hundred percent. That's what I kind of feel like So in so many circumstances, the client has put in probably like so much work you know they've sat in so many meetings coming up with these ideas um thinking about all this kind of stuff and they drop it off at a you know production company and go hey can you make this and they go oh yeah you guys haven't even thought about this or you know it's like no but they probably have like it's it's about like coming to that equal understanding of like yeah no everyone involved is excited people don't make videos because they go uh hey terry maybe we should make a video. 99.9% of the time, they're like, this is an opportunity for us to do something cool. So let's be part of this. Realistically, they want to be on the journey. I make videos and I'm part of the journey, but as the, on the client side, I want to be taken on the journey. I want to, be, I, I want to see the magic. I want to see that wizardry that, that video people can do. I would be foolish to say that there are not people out there now who I look at in the video world and go, man, yeah, I know how to edit. I know how to Shoot, I know how to produce, but damn, that person's a wizard. They know they can do stuff that I would never dream of being able to do. And I. See that all the time, and uh, when I come across that, I I message them, I hit them up, and I go like, you know, you see something on YouTube, and you see someone who's like in Melbourne who does something that's so cool, or a friend of a friend shows a video to you. Um, in the case of, uh, we've had a similar experience, the two of us. You've oh, shown yeah. me, you've shown me a video, and I go, whoa, this mm. editor is a wizard. Hell yeah. Um, his name's Lockie and I was like, yo, this guy's sick, and I and you know, it, it's I think a lot of people might be threatened by that, and I I'm threatened by that. Yeah, I go, this guy's so much better than I am but hit me up i want to be friends with you i want to i want to sit with you and i want to learn from you man you do Hell some yeah. cool stuff and you got to be into these kind of things with an open mind you got to be like yeah i'm going to sit with you i want to learn this kind of stuff you're you're incredible show me your wizardry everyone has the unfair advantage i think that's an awesome Take away, but then not to be not to be freaked out by other people's unfair advantage either, because everyone's everyone's looking over their shoulder and everyone has insecurities about something, because you can't be the master of of everything, right? No, hundred percent. And you are a- you are a wizard in in some areas, and you're a fucking monkey in other, in other areas. areas. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, you have to accept that for sure. Yeah. If you're thinking about doing this and thinking about going and making videos or whatever, it doesn't even matter what you do. It, it could be a completely non-creative industry. Oh hell yeah! Um, you, everyone has an unfair advantage. Like, If you sit at home, you write some stuff out, you spend a little bit of time working out what your unfair advantage is, own it. That's what you do. And then don't just stop there. Find other people's unfair advantages. Find that guy who does the same thing but better than you. Find out what his unfair advantage is and and learn it. That is only going to work to your advantage. I love that. Oh, my God. We've come down this podcast journey. We've got to the end. You started out as a shy Scared, so scared, little boy. So scared. Not playing the podcast sax with any tongue, and I feel like you just tongue bashed that podcast right at the end. Do you feel like that? I, I, I feel, I feel vibing. I feel like, uh, I mean, I all I can do is give credit to uh, to Basil Jared, all just right. getting me comfortable when you're propping your head up on like a pillow full of hundred dollar notes. Thanks, man. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> I've I've never had such comfort before. <laughs> I, I feel like I misrepresented the amount of money that I have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bought I bought craft beers. That's about the extent He's of my rich. budget. <laughs> He's rich. Twenty four dollars for a six pack. Wow, he, that dude got cash. cash. He's got cash. She's got cheddar. So if you need a loan, if you need some cheddar, if you need some manules, hit up uh, Eli, Dance, Ali. Where are people hitting you up, son? Uh, you can hit me up uh, for my obviously my loan program. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not a pyramid scheme. N- it's not a pyramid scheme. No, 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 no. no. no, no. It's a it's a pentagon. it's a it's what was your favorite it's a it's a a pentatonic scale yeah that's what it is (laughs) it's a pentagon scheme i'm hitting up the glitch media life glitchmedia.com.au you can kind of find a couple of things that i'm doing and yeah trying to live that glitch life it's digital it's disruptive it's a little bit different oh damn i'm i'm so happy and excited for you bro thanks for doing this thank you so much thanks for having me along on the pod yeah boy yeah boy Holy smokes, we did it. Thank you so much for hanging in there. If you did hang in there, I'm sure you got something out of it. That was, that was an absolute joy for me. Eli's one of my besties with testies. And I'm sure you felt the love and warmth in the room. Hit the man up on socials and tell him how good of a job he did. Because at the moment, he doesn't believe it coming from me. Until next time, stay amazing. Bye.